Welcome to Daily Dose of Dr. Mary and Dee Dee. I'm Maz Mary. And I'm Dana DelVal. Whether you're a person on an addiction sobriety path, or you know someone who is, we're here to talk about our journey with it. And more importantly, we want to help end the stigma and shame of alcoholism. And we want to bring some hope and laughter along the way too. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning. Good morning. What a stupid amount of tech problems. And then I forgot to do our little countdown. Oh my gosh. Off our game. Off our game. Who cares? Good morning, Mama. Good morning. Sorry. I'm a little curmudgeonly because I had everything in place and then the internet crapped out for lack of a better phrase. And we got that back up and then the camera died. And I'm still a little sick. It's just been a stupid morning. So, good morning. I'm sure by the end of this time, I'll be right as rain and joyful as they come. Definitely. Mm -hmm. So, okay. Uh, First of all, please join us in applauding Brian Johnson, who was our pre-recorded conversation last Thursday. That was a really, really interesting and powerful conversation. Thank you for that, Brian. It was a a fantastic conversation. Yeah. And just, um, boy, if you've lost a parent, which most of us have, uh, you know how stressful that is. And so then think about just the stress of adding addiction on top of that. Um, Boy, that is not something you'd wish on anybody. So I thought it was just really, really interesting to hear him talk about his own gratitude for that. And uh, if you get our newsletter, I wrote about this on Saturday, but Dr. Mary ordered the book. I mean, come on, you are not, I mean, you're literate. You can read, you just aren't much of a reader. I got me some schooling somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but well, he that's not true. See, I read all the time for work. So to relax, I don't read. Although I do like reading, but I usually read when, I'm, when I travel. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, on our trip for spring break, I did not watch an in-flight movie. I read a book. So you're welcome. <laughs> yes. And indeed. if if my if uh, a very old friend of mine, Scott Johnson, is is watching, he once in 1990 accused me of destroying destroying literature because I'd rather watch a movie than the book the film was based on. So yeah, I, I'm not saying I don't love a good Jane Austen film adaptation, but I'm going to pick the book over the movie every single time, every single time. Okay. So, you know, one of the many, many differences between us. Yes. All right. We're talking today about, does it matter where your alcoholism comes from? And if you look at the program notes, you will see that I included the link that the article we're referencing from is. So it's called, is it utterly important to know the reasons why you drink by Diana Liotta. Um, it's a medium article. And uh, one of the reasons that I was struck by this is because mm, I think my, I had a lot of curiosity when you first got sober about, well, when did this start and why did it start mm-hmm. and how did it start? And um, some of that I think is just pure curiosity. Um, I think some of it is a way that we work to distance ourselves from 
addicts. Because if Maz could have said, well, I started drinking when I was 12, I could have said, well, I didn't. Or, well, my parents are alcoholics. I could have said, well, mine aren't. Yeah, neither were my not, parents. Neither of his parents are alcoholics. He didn't start drinking at 12. Um, you know, well, I had a super traumatic experience and that's how I coped with it. I didn't. I mean, it's, I think there are lots of ways to try to reassure ourselves that, well, that won't happen to me. Mm, and I think that's some of the curiosity. Mm. So let's just answer well, for the audience. Another, oh, okay. another part of it is if you can understand your root the root cause of something, it's, it's you know, it's part of a, a treatment plan is to identify what triggered you. It's, it's good to know a trigger. Um, mm. I have no idea what mine was. I have, certainly we've had some bad, you know, it's, you know, it hasn't been roses the last five years. I mean, we, we lost the pup, which a lot of people thought would spiral me down into another pit. Give me a break, people. <laughs> which it didn't. It was just quite a sad day. Yes. Um, but I don't know what mine was. I can't I can't tell you what, what happened from, yeah. you know, the fact that I would drink, but then no one to stop to drinking all day and then really just being an alcoholic yeah i mean it's sort of like saying to somebody who's uh who gradually puts on 50 pounds let's say you go back to your 30-year high school reunion and your high school friend has put on 50 pounds in 30 years you can't say to that person well how did that weight come on because they didn't put on 50 pounds in the last six months sometimes people put on that kind of weight you know, again, because of stress, because of a traumatic experience, because of a hospitalization, whatever it is, sometimes people know where weight comes from. But most often, weight is just a gradual thing. Or I think about, um, so I have this recurring chronic neck problem. Uh, actually, this is sort of an interesting thing because my granddad, I think, had a terrible neck. My mom kind of has a crummy neck. I have a pretty debilitating neck problem. So it's okay like this, but I can't do much of this. And I went to see a physical therapist. I don't know. I, well, before one of our last big floods, so maybe 2009, 2011. And he said to me, do you have any neck pain? And I said, no, because I thought I was going to see him for my lower back. And he said, well, turn your head to the right. So I did. And he said, no, turn your head to the right. I said, I am. And he said, and you don't think you have neck pain? He said, your, your neck is like 30% of where it should be able to move for a healthy person your age who's not been in any traumatic accidents. It, it happened so gradually, I sort of didn't know mm. it was happening. Um, and I can't say to you, oh, I know exactly how this began. I, I have no idea. So the reason that I brought up my granddad and my mom is because... Um, uh, there's this article is really about what's the biological biological likelihood of becoming an alcoholic and then what's sort of just the environmental likelihood of becoming an alcoholic um so you know in almost every obvious genetic way i don't actually favor my mom's side of the family so i wouldn't tend to think well my granddad had a bad neck my mom has a bad neck i'm gonna have a bad neck but there is something to that. All three of us do have, did have, uh, crummy necks. 
So I don't know. Do you have, what do you want to say about this? Well, um, this article goes on to say two points here that I want to bring up quick because we don't, you know, we don't have a lot of time. Alcoholism isn't a learned behavior on its own, but perhaps you learn, you, you learn in response to your environment, but behaviors you learn in response to your environment can affect your risk of becoming an alcoholic, which is absolutely true. Can I just read that again? Because I, I got tripped up in the middle. Alcoholism isn't a learned behavior on its own, but behaviors you learn in response to your environment can affect your risk. So what does that mean to you? It's a coping mechanism. It's like everyone we've ever interviewed, everyone I've ever talked to since I've started treatment, they, they, they drank alcohol to fit in. Everyone says that. Mm. It's, it, you know, it's, it makes you feel better temporarily. There's no, there's no denying it. Another statement here is if you grow up around parents who abuse alcohol, then you are four times more likely to develop alcoholism later in life. So. Did you have more to say to that? Yeah, I, neither of my parents drank. Okay. And I'm an alcoholic. Okay. So you do come from a history of yes. alcoholism, yeah, however. There were grandparents and uncles and aunts and things like that. And, um, there is, you know, is there a genetic basis for alcohol? Well, if someone's, it, you can't really say that to a scientist. It's like with this. You it's know, like, do you believe in evolution? Yeah, there's, well, you can't. I do, by the way. It's not, a, you can't, no one believes in evolution because it's not a belief. I do. <laughs> there are, I mean, genes govern everything. So there isn't one gene that governs alcohol. There are many. And I was just looking through this. I, I didn't have time to read into it. There's about 12 genes or receptors for a gene. So the gene could work, but there's a, there's a thing on your cell that doesn't work. Oh, like everybody's got cancer genes, but receptors don't turn on for everybody. Yes. <gasps> Look at that. And you can have every gene that makes you susceptible to cancer that science knows, and you still might not get cancer. Yes, because your receptor does. It's like it's, the yes, no on your. All of this, yeah. th all that 23andMe stuff, it's all a risk assessment if you do it for medical purposes. Mm. And as my doctor has in his office, there's a little thing on his wall that says, Please don't confuse your 10-minute Google search with my medical degree. That's fair. I think that's totally fair. Anyway. There are two main genes that are responsible for the initial breakdown of alcohol if you consume alcohol. One of them is alcohol dehydrogenase 1B. And I say that because there's seven of them. So up until about three years ago, it was everyone talked about alcohol dehydrogenase, and that was it. If you didn't have it, yeah, everyone was talking about alcohol dehydrogenase. No, because there, there was a subset of, hum, of the human race that don't have that gene and it doesn't work. You, you, can't get, you can't drink at all because you get terribly sick. And studies have shown that unless people who have that problem, and it's not just one gene, but it's actually now um, another gene called aldehyde dehydrogenase, because alcohol dehydrogenase turns alcohol into... Um, acetaldehyde which then gets turned into acet acetate by the second gene isn't that what you take nail polish off with yes if that gets broke if that gene isn't present you are um more likely to become an alcoholic so is there a way to test for that yeah you can it's um 
you can there's a there's a marker for it. There's two, there's two different types. There's one that you inherit in your genome, or one that you actually get that's on your and the mitochondrial genome you inherit from your mother. Oh, so much science. So yeah, so. I mean it's interesting. Don't I'm still I'm still with it. I just but studies have shown that they did, they did a lot of this stuff on monkeys and rats, and in the studies they've done in humans, yes. But a person who doesn't like the effect of initially feeling sick, unless they're forced into it by peer pressure, they're more likely not to become alcoholic. So I'd be really curious to know what my genome would say, because I, um, I have no desire to be drunk ever. I have no desire to even be buzzed. Uh, I do not like to lie down and feel dizzy. I don't like the out of controlness. I mean, I, I truly have only ever accidentally gotten drunk when I was in college and my friends would start planning how drunk they were going to get Friday night on Monday afternoon. I would look at them and think, why would you plan for that? Like I, I still wonder that. <laughs> so I, I'd be curious to know if I, if I have the gene, it's not turned on. If I don't have the gene, I, it's just fascinating. And don't, don't latch on to what I've just said because there are different forms of this gene. Most of it works in your liver, but of course, the more the more we understand the biology of these things, and the better technology gets. Recently, and in the last couple of years, um, subsets of this gene activity has been shown to be places where it never thought it would be. In your digestive system, like in your small intestine and in your stomach, is actually where alcohol dehydrogenase, some subsets of it, that not every human has. But with those genes being active in more of your digestive system, you're more likely to develop some form of alcoholism if you succumb to peer pressure. But the thing is, and this article that we put up here is, is true, it, it, it depends on the social aspects of it too. If you surround yourself with people who like to drink and they don't get affected by any influence to make you at more risk of becoming an alcoholic, because they're not affected, but you could be so uh, the article isn't nearly as sciencey as what maz just went into um actually the article is quite a nice read yeah it, it's a quick easy read and really her point is just who cares yeah she and her sister both became alcoholics both their parents were alcoholics which they didn't understand until they were well into adulthood um and she her sister has been sober for 15 years or something and did it through AA. She got sober in a different way. And what she has ultimately come down on is who cares? The point to focus on is sobriety. Yeah. And if our friend Alex Kaplan or Adi Jaffe, who we haven't had on yet, were here, either one of them would say, and maybe sobriety isn't even the answer. It's what is it that works for you? Yeah. I mean, absolutely. There's not one answer. I know one answer because it worked for me, but I'm not going to be closed-minded and say, this is the only way to do it. Yeah. Because, you know, that's stupid. You're also not going to test it. No. Which is super interesting. I, uh, I mean, it is that scary thing of, well, yeah, I'm sure other things work. Not going to, yeah, you know, it's not I'm sure it. some people can walk on a high wire. Good for them. I'm not going to try it. Yeah.
Yeah, it's an interesting... Yeah, some people can swallow swords. Uh, yes, so good luck. Yeah, Godspeed on that. Um, so I think the interesting relational point across this is for most of us, the things that just gradually become a problem are just that. They are a gradual evolution. And some of it is learned behavior and some of it is environment and some of it is choice making and some of it is what you inherit. And that's pretty true for many, many aspects of our lives. Um, and I think we are sort of conditioned to want to be able to say, this is when it began, this is where, this is why, because somehow that makes it seem either better or easier to judge or easier to distance from or however you want to think of it. Does it really matter what caused it? Does it really matter why you became an alcoholic? It no, doesn't to you. It, it doesn't as long as yeah. I, my continued mission in life now is to just enjoy where I am right yeah. now. Yes. Um, you could spend your time trying to mine the past and figure out what started yeah. something, or you could say, I can't change it anyway. Yeah, even people so, in my AA group have said the same thing to me. I, I even made a comment once because I still can't work out what started all this. <laughs> don't, don't worry about it. Just enjoy what you've got. Yeah. Be aware that it could happen again and yeah. you should be fine. I mean, this is coming from a, a guy that told me this was celebrating 36 years of sobriety Yeah, and said, I'm mindful every day that a slip up could come. So I just said, I don't dread it. I just look out for it. Yeah. No? There we go. Okay. Uh, we'll see what happens on Thursday. I'm working to line up some guests. Uh, we don't have one yet. So we'll do something on Thursday, but I don't know what. So I guess tune in for that. And we will see you Thursday. Enjoy your Tuesday. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for tuning in to Daily Dose of Dr. Mary and DD. If you enjoyed the content and want to learn more, head over to Facebook to Daily Dose Dr. Mary DD. You can find us on YouTube under Dana DelVal. And if you want to get signed up for our weekly newsletter, email me at D-A-Y-N-A at D-A-Y-N-A-D-E-L-V-A-L dot com. Have a great day. We hope to see you soon. Bye-bye.